The gift that is within you can make you rich. The gift that can, that's within you can make you well-known and have great favor and fame and friends and finances and power and influence of every kind. There are gifts resident on the inside of every person that God Almighty has placed there that he is waiting for you to take that passion, that gift, and begin to develop it and to make it great, and it will make you great. But most people don't know that. Most people are perfectly happy to settle for less. Well, I'm going to encourage you today, don't settle for less. Don't settle for anything less than greatness. Because God has called us all to do great things. Amen. Proverbs 18, 16. I, I like this. And uh, it's, a, it's a scripture that many times I allude to. And Proverbs 18 and 16 uh, says this. It says, A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. Brings you before great men. Your gift is what will make you excel, exceed, and do great things. And many people don't even know that God has put inside them a gift. How many of you know that Joseph had a gift? Joseph could interpret dreams. Joseph, when he went to the house of Potiphar, Joseph, it says, is the one that caused Potiphar's house to prosper and become rich. Just because he was there. Joseph... When Potiphar's wife lied about him and said he tried to rape her and had him put in prison, uh, how many of you know the prison guard, it caused uh, Joseph just being in that prison and helping him, caused the prison to begin to run efficiently and effectively to the point where the guy who was running the prison took Joseph, who was a prisoner, and put him in charge of the prison. Is that crazy? Everybody say, Joseph had a gift. And Joseph, when famine came, he had a dream and he knew that the seven cows were, that were uh, fat and they became shrunk down and skinny and the seven ears of corn that were fat and, became, and shrunk down were skinny with seven years of plenty coming and then seven years of famine that was going to eat it up and God told him to save back a certain percentage of the years of plenty so there'd be enough in the years of famine. And he knew that. I don't know, it sounds like there's something running up here. Can we, can we get that background noise out of that, please? And so as we, as we see him, he is doing these amazing things. And he has this gift. And before it's all said and done, Pharaoh turns over the whole wealth of the entire nation to Joseph to be the steward. And he becomes the greatest, most powerful man in the whole nation next to Pharaoh himself. I would say that's pretty amazing. Daniel had a gift. And Daniel's gift took him before great men. Daniel's gift, not, you know, Joseph's gift made him the wealthiest man in all of Egypt, in the most powerful nation on earth. That'd be like the wealthiest guy in America. How many of you know Solomon had a gift? How many of you know Solomon was the wisest man in the world? And the Bible says, seek wisdom of all. If Solomon is alive today, economists say that Solomon would be a trillionaire. How many of you think that's, that's pretty gifted? Wow. Gifts cause us to be able to excel at different things. David had a gift. David was a warrior. Daniel had a gift. He was, a, he was one who could interpret dreams. And he came before Nebuchadnezzar and he turned around wicked kings and made them want to serve God. Gifts inside of us. We all have different gifts. See, and some people have interpreted that. You know, and, and here's a wrong interpretation. If you've got a Bible... That, that has this interpretation. It says that, you know, a man's gift makes room for him. So some, some Bibles say a bribe, you know, uh, makes room for them. Well, really, that is not consistent with the rest of Scripture. And, and as I look at that, I can see that you can go to Exodus 23, 8, and I'll just prove that to you. And we're just going to take a little side journey just for a second and, and just to prove that that is not the right type of interpretation. Exodus 23, 8. Some people... Uh, have taken that, that it's some type of like bribery. How many of you know God is not for bribery? God doesn't advocate bribery. And I can prove it to you, Exodus 23, 8, and we'll read real quickly. We won't take a lot of time here. It says, and thou shalt take no bribe. It says gift in the King James Bible, but then you look at the margin of the Bible, it says 
bribe instead of gift. For the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. Do you think God wants to blind the wise and pervert the words of the righteous? He says, do not bring a bribe. So this is not talking about bribe. Even in some translations it says bribe, but it's not bribe. It's your gift. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it's your gift that makes room for you, not a dirty bribe. Amen. So we've got to understand that God wants to uh, give, what, is that not working again? Uh, let's just leave it as it is. If it gets really bad, I'll change it out. I'll go to that. And so what we've got here is our gift makes room for us. Our gift is what makes us successful in life. And I don't know what your gift is, but God says every one of us has a different gift. Turn to First Peter 4 and verse 10. And as we look at that, we can see uh, that everyone is to steward these gifts, and these gifts are actually God's grace. How many of you know grace is empowerment? Grace is unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. You didn't pay for it. You didn't earn it. You aren't, you aren't good enough to have it. You don't have in any way rights to it. But grace is something that God gives you, and it's an unmerited favor, and it's an empowerment to be and to do something that you could never do on your own. How many of you know that when certain baseball players are signing $250 million contracts, that gift that they have to play baseball, they did not create that themselves. God created that and gave that to them. Can I get an amen? Every gift that any person has ultimately comes uh, from the God who created us. And I'm going to turn over to 1 Peter. Let me just read it, 1 Peter 4.10. And I love this verse of Scripture. It's very powerful. As every man hath received the gift... Even so, minister the same, and we use our gifts to minister to others, not to heap money upon ourselves. Can I get an amen? And it says, even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, your gift is a stewarding of a grace that God has given you. Joseph steward this grace to interpret dreams and to speak to kings and to give guidance to nations and to understand how to handle money. He was given this gift not to save his own hide, but ultimately to save the king and all those who he was going to kill, all the wise men and the magicians he was going to kill because they couldn't interpret the dream. And he saves the king, he saves the wise men, he saves the whole nation, he saves his family and all of his brothers from the famine, but more than anything, he saved the lineage of Christ that came down through that family. See, our gifts are not for us to profit from. They're ulti- I mean, and you will profit from them, but they're ultimately to do God's work. Men's gifts make them millionaires. It makes them great in influence, able to do great tasks, to become presidents, to become heads of corporations, to become professional athletes and do all these things. But it should never stop there. It should only be to be a platform to bring glory to God and finances to the kingdom. But see, men have become selfish with their gifts, and they are misstewarding him. And one day they'll answer to God as they stand before Christ at the great white throne of judgment. Can I get an amen? One Harvard uh, Review article said this. One very successful man said, The most important thing you can do with your life is finding and narrowing down your life to its ultimate passions, pursuing and developing those passions and taking it to the marketplace of life, and you will experience ultimate success. There is a lot of truth to that statement, but he left God out. He's saying what you need to do is begin to minimalize other things, begin to maximize those certain things that are your passions, that are the things that make you tick, that, which, that are your wheelhouse that causes you uh, to get motivated and, and get excited and begin to whittle off the other things that waste your time, that distract you away, that keep you occupied with things that you really should be doing, things that you really have a great passion for and that you should begin to focus and make the main thing the main thing. Don't become a jack of all trades and a master of none, but become somebody who is very good and very focused and very passionate and very invested in the thing that God has gifted you with and begin to develop that, begin to use that, begin to market that, and that's not necessarily for money, but use it 
for causes, for making money, for whatever, for bringing success, for helping other people, for bringing to pass, in my context as a minister, the will of the Lord and getting people saved, and so many things that you can use that gift for to promote and do great things is really the key to life. I believe that, but if you leave God out, then I call it the Elvis syndrome. I did it my way. Yeah, you sure did, sitting on the toilet full of drugs and died of a heart attack, of a massive overdose when you're 40 years old, keeled over in a pile of, we won't even say it. And you know what? I'll tell you what, there's no glory to ending your life like that. I don't care if you're Elvis. I don't care if you've got the biggest mansion. I don't care if you gave all your relatives a Cadillac. I don't care if you're worth millions of dollars. I don't care if they call you the king in rock and roll. You're nothing but a washed up loser going to hell. Because you misstewarded your gift. Thank you for your enthusiasm, all two of you. You see, we've got to understand that unless we use our gifts for God, our life is really for nothing. And I don't care if you've got the biggest pile of money when it's all said and done and judgment day comes and goes, all you'll have is the biggest pile of ashes. Because all those things are going to be burned up with God's judgment. So I call upon you, I challenge you to find out what your gifts are. And I believe this, that man, Jesus said this, what does it gain a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You know, some have found, you know, Elvis was raised in a Pentecostal church. Elvis, people said he was called to be a preacher and to minister the gospel in song. Some of you don't know who Elvis is because you're too young. And there's an Elvis in, in, in every, like, casino and, and, and big city hotel, you know. And there's an Elvis contest about every month, you know. And they're still looking for him. No, I'm just kidding. But Elvis was the king, and he was the, he was the father of rock and roll, some say, and he's all these things. But I'll tell you what. He was called to be a minister. His family says that. His Assembly of God church he used to attend said that. And the people that heard him sing and, and, and speak about the things of God all said that. And they all recognized the gifting upon his life. But he prostituted it out for money and fame and women and loose living. Isn't that sad? So you've got a gift. And that gift, let me tell you something, that gift is powerful. And that gift can make yours. That gift can make you successful. If you, if, you, if you tap it, if you find out what it is, you tap into it and you begin to use it. But God says, use it for me. Don't use it for yourself. Don't use it to make yourself rich because you'll, you'll self-destruct. You'll crash and burn. You will go to hell. And you will not serve God for eternity with great rewards and dignity and glory. See, some stumble onto the principle of truth. Baseball players, I just heard a baseball player signing for $20, $250 million. Hollywood stars and all, all the different people that are making all this money. But see, godliness is profitable. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. We're going to go to that second half of that verse. 1 Timothy 4, 8, part B of that verse. I want to look at some things there. 1 Timothy 4 and 8. First Timothy 4, 8, and it says this. For bodily exercise profiteth little. How many of you know that, you know, I exercise, I believe in exercise. I think you ought to keep your body in shape. But the bad part about exercising, it profits little. And, and one translation says it only profits for a little while. And I find out it only profits about a week, and I start getting back out of shape, and I have to work out again. That's what that's saying. That the bad thing about working out is a very short-term investment with a very short-term uh, return on the investment. In other words, it only keeps the fat away for a few days. It only burns up the calories for one day, and then if you get too many calories, you're going to have to do it, and you might have to do twice as much tomorrow. In other words, uh, keeping yourself in shape is a great thing. I advocate it. I would say everybody should do it, but you know what? It doesn't have a long-term reward or investment on it, (laughs) and I get an amen. In other words, bodily exercise profiteth very little, or just for a little while, and then you got to do it again, and then you got to do it again, And, and boy, I tell you what, sometimes I get tired of doing it. I don't want to go to the gym, but I force myself to. And that's all right. But it says, but godliness is profitable unto all things. See, working out just 
affects your body, and it kind of affects your mind, and a little bit spiritually maybe, to the positive. But see, godliness, exercising godliness is profitable unto all things. Your spirit, your soul, and your body, your eternity, your finances, your health, your family, your marriage. I don't care. You can go on and on and on and on and on and on down the list. Godliness is profitable to every single solitary thing in this life. Everything. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. In other words, it's profitable in the life that is here, right now, today, your physical body, your natural mind, your present finances, your present state of affairs, your godliness is profitable for the life that now is and in the life that is to come. Your godliness is going to affect your eternity. Fifty trillion years from now, you're going to be so glad in that little speck of time, that little 80, 90 years, whatever you attain to live to, and that is if you live that right and you were godly in that season, it's going to affect you for trillions and trillions and forever, and forever, and forever, and you're going to think, what a fool was I for not investing and giving everything to godliness that I had in my life. You see, it is godliness that is profitable in life that now is, and in the life that is to come. And that godliness and that profitability comes from your gift. Let me prove that to you. Jump over to verse, just go down a few verses to verses 14 and 15. And look what Paul tells Timothy, the young minister. He says, neglect not the gift. He just talked about godliness being profitable in the life that now is and the life that is to come. And he says, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery, that's the preachers, and meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting, everybody say profiting, may appear to all. See, he's telling him to stir the gift up So his profiting, which is godliness, will appear to all people. So other people will see his godliness, and they'll see his godliness when they stir up the gift that's in them. And when you stir up that gift, profitableness comes into your life. And so what you can surmise from that is that to the degree that you stir the gift up in your life is going to be the degree that you have a profitable life for others to see. Profitable in the life that now is, and profitable in the life that is to come. Your gift will make room for you, and you will stand before great men, the Bible says. Some people don't want to develop their gift. They want, they want to live below the standard of blessing and what God has for them. Some people aren't interested in stirring up the gift. Some people want to get to Judgment Day and find out their whole life was wasted, and they never used their gift. They never found their call because the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, it says in Romans eleven twenty nine, And the gifting is the ability to do the calling. You can't do the calling without the gifting. If I don't have the gift to preach, I can't go into the calling of preaching. I can't be called to pastor if I don't have a gift to preach. And if I don't develop the gift to preach, then I can't effectively pastor. If I can't effectively pastor, I can't fulfill the call of God on my life. And if I don't fulfill the call of God on my life, when I go and I stand before him on judgment day, and he asks me, what did I do with the call on my life? And I said, well, I didn't develop my preaching, so I couldn't do the call of pastoring so that I didn't do anything that you told me to do, then he's going to tell me your whole life is a waste and it's all going to be burned like hay and stubble. You better find out what your gift is. You better find out so you can understand to do your call. And you may be called to be, you know, a truck driver. You may be called to be a a lawyer. You may, well, I don't know about that, but you may be called to be a doctor. You may be called to be an engineer. You may be called to work at Moscow. You may be called because wherever God plants you, he wants you to flourish. He's going to give you a gift to do the job well, to advance, and to be a witness and get people saved. I don't know if I want that call. I'm shy about it. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but power, love, and of a sound mind. And your shyness is nothing more than your selfishness. I said, your shyness and your timidity is nothing more than your selfishness because it's you that you're looking out for when you're shy. Because I might get uncomfortable if I have to share. If the almighty I might be uncomfortable about it. Oh, it's all about you. Take another selfie. Because I don't want to be uncomfortable. Because I wouldn't like that. Because I might get embarrassed. Because I'm a little bit shy. 
Well, how about laying down your life and doing it for Jesus? Somebody say amen. See, your timidity is very, very subtle camouflage form of your narcissism. It's all about me. Because I got to lay down my... I have to die to self before I go witness to people. Because you know what? I got to be prepared to be a fool for Christ. Somebody say amen. I got to prepare to be a fool for Christ. Paul said he was a fool for Christ. He says he, 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 he was willing to lay it all down. And no longer I that live, but Jesus Christ lives with me. I don't care about my reputation anymore. I'm not protecting my reputation. I'm trying to get people introduced to his reputation. Wow, I don't know what happened now. Is it still there? Did it go dead? Somebody saying yes, somebody saying no. It's still good. Jacob says it's good, so I'll go with what Jacob says. Let me tell you something. So I'm going to give you four quick principles here. Four steps, four things that you need to know about developing your gift, finding and developing your gift. Number one, those four steps, not to neglect your gift. See, because Paul says, neglect not the gift that is in thee. You can neglect it your whole life. You can act as if you don't have a gift. You can ignore that gift. You can, you can bury that gift. You can cause that gift to never be flourish to, to blossom and bloom and flourish and produce fruit. You can keep that seed in a, in a locked box and never let it go out into the soil and put water on it and sunshine and never develop anything. You can keep that. You know, there's seed that they find down in the tombs of pharaohs in the pyramids that are thousands of years old, and those seeds are in boxes, and they never bloom. They never produce anything. And the moment they put them in the ground, germination starts, and just within a few days, they begin to grow different types of plants from those seeds that have been not, what's the, they've been dormant for thousands of years. Some people's gift can be dormant for 50 years, 70 years, and never use it, and live and die and go to hell and never have tapped into the gift that God gave them. How many of you don't want that to happen in your life? God forbid. And your gifting is usually what you're passionate about. Think about what it is that you like. What have you liked ever since you were little? What do you enjoy doing? What is it that when you do that type of work, it gives you great joy? And some of you are saying, well, I don't know. I never did like what I did at work. Well, but you know what? You need to find out what you like and start doing it. Can I get an amen? So number one, you've got to, number one, recognize the gift unlockers, those who unlock the gift in your life. Look what it says. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. What's a presbytery, Pastor Bill? Presbytery is just a plural form of presbyter. Presbyter is, just means overseer. I mean, it just means elder. And presbyter means elder, and elder just means minister or the preacher. So, the gift, let's read it again. Neglect not the gift that was given thee. That was given thee. Everybody say, was given thee. By prophecy and laying hands of the preacher. When preachers prophesy and lay hands on people, their gifts get released. The first thing that you've got to understand about your gift is that there is certain people that God has assigned you to in your life to unlock your gift for you. You say, well, maybe that's why I've never unlocked it, because I've never been in relationship with a pastor. I've never been in relationship with a church. I've never served in a church. I've never paid a tithe. I've never gotten involved in church. And I've never really had that relationship with a pastor. And, I, and I've never really had him lay hands on me. I've never really had a prophetic word in my life. I've never had, and I've never noticed or been able to figure out or be able to understand what my gifting is. Well, that's why, number one, let's start right here, that you have got to be in relationship with the presbytery or ministers who lay hands on you, prophesy over you, and release the gift that's in your life. I can remember numerous times where ministers have laid hands on me and said basically the exact same thing. And that's how I know it's God because these ministers don't know each other. They don't, didn't know me. And yet when they would prophesy about my gift and the things that were going on in my life, it was the same. And that's how I know it's God because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Can I get an amen? 
Now turn with me to Ephesians 4th chapter, verses 8 through 12. Quickly, turn to Ephesians 4, 8 through 12. We're going to have to accelerate this sermon just a little bit. There's a lot to say in a short period of time. Praise the Lord. Galatians 8, excuse me, 4, 8. Look what it says. What did I say? Ephesians. Ephesians. What, did I say something else? I'm sorry. I was looking at Galatians and I was meant to say Ephesians. Ephesians 4. And you can begin to see certain things in Paul's writings uh, that are very consistent and you, and you see it over and over again. But we're going to begin there. Let's start in verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Say, every one of us has a grace. And that means gift. Every one of us has a, a gifting, a grace, an ability that we just have that we don't deserve, that we didn't have to work for, it just we naturally have it. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity and gave gifts unto men. Now, those two words are very different. He's not talking about he gave everyone of us has been, giving a, been given a grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Everybody say, I've been given a gift. And that means that we all have a grace to do something. But when you look it up in the Greek, this next verse says something very interesting. And then he says, and he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. That is a different Greek word. And that word for gifts is not talking about the gifts that we possess, but it's talking about people who are gifts, so I'm about ministers who are gifts to the body of Christ. One is talking about something you possess. The other one is talking about persons. He gave gifts unto men. See, it doesn't say that he gave you a particular gift. He gave gifts unto men or mankind. And now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth and that he descended into the same, that he ascended up far above all heaven, that he might fill all things. And he gave some, and he's talking about those gifts, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers for the perfecting or equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And that word, when you understand those two Greek words, the first one is that we have gifts, then we have gifts given to us in our life in the form of people. In other words, the preacher is not this gifted guy that's got gifts. Now, he should because everybody's got gifts, but that's not what it's talking about. The preacher isn't a gifted guy. The preacher is a gift from God to you. A lot of people don't understand that. And why are you, Pastor Bill, why do you think you're God's gift to man? <laughs> why do you think preachers are God's gift to man? Isn't that a little arrogant? Well, no, not when you understand what it is. See, the reason why a minister is a gift to the people that he serves is because when you study out those two words, the gift, the minister who is a gift, his gift is to unlock your gift. That's what his gift is. My gift is to unlock your gifts. And without a minister, or if you're not in a church, you will probably never have your gifts unlocked. That's what 1 Timothy was talking about, that stir up the gift that was in thee, that was given to you by the laying on of hands and prophecy of the presbytery or the ministers. Can I get an amen? See, it's a gift to find out what your gift is. It's a gift to get your gift released. It's a gift to have your gift activated. And the Bible says that they laid hands and they released. It says gave the gift who was given thee by the laying on of hands and prophesying of the presbytery. So number one, you've got to recognize the gift unlockers in your life. Now, let me give you an example of that. Moses failed. Moses knew that he was going to be a deliverer. Moses, it says, that he was 
going to uh, deliver the people, and he went out among his people one day. We're reading, I mean, I'm going from Acts 7, 22 through 29, and he goes out among the people, and he says, I'm a deliverer. God has revealed it to me. I'm supposed to deliver these people, and there's a nasty old uh, Egyptian picking on one of God's people over there, and I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to give him what for, and he ended up striking him. He ended up killing him, and then all God's people turn around and says, okay, you're the big hotshot. You can just go around and kill people when you want. I mean, we don't like these guys, but you scare us when you just walk up and kill somebody that's doing something you don't like, and then you think that you're going to be our deliverer. We don't trust you. You might get mad at us, and you may kill us next. And who made you a ruler over us, dude? Who do you think you are? Get out of here. And it says that Moses was so terrified by the total, complete, 100% failure of his first leadership endeavor that he fled and ran away over there to Midian. Now, you got to remember when you read Acts 7.22, it says that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt and was mighty in words and deeds. This dude was like he went to the JFK School of Government at Harvard. He was the most well-educated in the most powerful world in the king's family, in the pharaoh's household. He had the greatest training. He says he was the most powerful, articulate uh, orator and that he had the greatest education. He was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt and he goes out and tries to be a leader and falls flat on his face and then he goes out and flees to Midian. Well, he was 40 years old. He comes to Midian. He finds some guys picking on some gals at a, uh, at a well and he rescues them, takes them home and he gets introduced to this pretty gal which later became his wife's father whose name was Jethro who was the priest, everybody say the priest of Midian. He sits under the priest for 40 years, and he gets trained in being a shepherd. And then God raises him up, sends him back to Egypt. He stands to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. God is behind me. Here come the 10 plagues, knucklehead, and go ahead and harden your heart, but you are going to let God's people go because I'm God's leader. Where did he learn to do that? Who caused his gift to be released? Because when he tried to, I mean, he was the student of students. He had the best education. He had the best situation. He came from the greatest family. He was from the most powerful nation. He had the greatest military behind him, and he couldn't leave a bunch of, he couldn't lead a bunch of Hebrew slaves out of Egypt because nobody wanted to follow him. But then he comes back, and he's the greatest leader in the Old Testament. He comes back, and he's wielding power, causing the Red Sea to part, and plagues to come upon, down upon Pharaoh, and the whole nation to be bowed down and say, go ahead, take all of our money, take all our gold, take all our wealth, just get out of here, we can't take any more plagues, we just lost our oldest, our firstborn, go ahead and leave us, please go. We've never seen anybody who could wield such power. And then they change their mind, they chase him down to the Red Sea, and he destroys all the rest of them, and all the whole army gets drowned at the Red Sea. How many of you know this dude is leading with some serious power behind him? And where's he getting this leadership training from? Where, where did he get this gift released? Because, man, he was super educated, and he didn't have enough gift to, to get a dog to follow him when he first left Egypt. Where, where did this come from? Well, Exodus 18 really reveals it to us, because Exodus 18 tells the story of when Jethro, everybody say, the priest, the minister, the gift unlocker, the gifts unto men, the priest of Midian, his father-in-law came down and he's sitting there and he says, I'm getting tired. I can't judge these people. We've come out of Egypt. We're out here in the wilderness and they're coming day and night, all day long and you're judging the people. You're the lawgiver. You're the judge. You're the king. You're the government. You're, the pro- you're all these things. And now you're here and you can't do anymore. And you're saying, God, take my life. I, what, what did I do to deserve this? This is horrible. I didn't think it was going to be so difficult. And Jethro comes up to him and says, dude, the thing that you're doing is not good. You're going to destroy yourself. And you're going to destroy all the people. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear them out. And you're going to turn everything into self-destruction. And if you'll do exactly what I say, God will be with you. Well, now we found out who's been his teacher all along. Now we find out where he's getting his divine instruction in the prophetic word and the gift that's been put upon him. And all of a sudden, he obeys Jethro. He begins to pray for him. He begins to teach him. He begins to show him what to do. He begins to divide him up into tens, hundreds, and thousands, and and fifties. And then he begins to choose out godly leaders. And he begins to delegate. and begins to form a republican form of government for the very first time in the history of mankind. And everything begins to work, and he becomes the greatest leader 
in all the Old Testament up to that point in time. And he raises up the greatest leader, Joshua, who guides them out into the promised land. Can I get an amen this morning? See, I'll tell you who Moses' gift unlocker was. It wasn't Pharaoh. It wasn't the educational system in Egypt. It was Jethro, the priest of Midian. Can I get an amen? He was a gift to Moses to unlock Moses' gift to be able to bring all the people out of Egypt. Anybody getting anything out of this this morning? Number two, we need to understand how to not only find, as, as we said, to recognize the gift, the, the gift unlocker, but we need to learn how to relate to those gift unlockers in our life, those who unlock the gifts in our life. It says in Hebrews 13, it says to obey and submit to those who have the rule over you. And let do it in such a way that it'll be a joy to them and not a grief because that's bad for you. In other words, there's a time where we've got to submit ourselves to certain types of spiritual leadership. And I want to show you what that looks like. Go back with me to 1 Samuel 22, and we're going to look at David. And we're going to look at some really troubled folks. And I call them David's uh, triple Ds. These were, these were the losers of David's day. 1 Samuel 22. And we can see that they had people. He was running from, from Saul. He was hiding in the caves. He was pretending he was crazy. And in verse 20, chapter 22, excuse me, 1 Samuel 22, 1, David therefore departed thence, and he escaped to the cave of Abdalon. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him, and every one of them was in distress. Everybody say distressed. And every one of them was in debt. Everybody say in debt. And every one of them was discontent. Everybody say discontent. Distress, debt, and discontent. It sounds like, A lot of people having a lot of problems. They go down to this cave. They gather around this leader. David is now like the ministry gift. He's a prophet, priest, and king. David has the anointing on his life. David is likened unto a fivefold ministry gifting unto those people. He is a gift unto them. He is not just a gifted guy, but he is a gift unto them because the gift in him unlocks the gift in them. And we can see them going from the three D's to the M&M's. The mighty men of David's army. How many of you know the mighty men would kill as many as 800 warriors at one time? The mighty men were undefeated. They went from the lowly losers of distress, indebtedness, and discontentedness to the mighty men of success. And they were like in the Forbes 500 top executives of war. I mean, these guys became the people of renown. They became the winners of their society and their culture and their people. They became the victors. They were no longer the victims. And how did that happen? How did they become the mighty men of 2 Samuel 23, 8? That's a few chapters later. You can read that those same guys that were in debt, that were discontent, that were distressed, we find out several pages later, several chapters later in 2 Samuel 23, 8, that they were... David's mighty men that conquered all. Well, let's look. It says that these men that were distressed in debt and discontent gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Now, don't miss what I'm going to say. They gathered themselves unto him. They formed a relationship with their gift unlocker. They formed a relationship with the one that unlocked their gift. They joined themselves unto David. David was the one that had the power to unlock their gifts. You must join yourself to that presbytery, that ministry, that gift of God that is called to perfect or equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that is called to lay hands on you and to release the gift into your life, as it says that the laying hands of the presbytery and the gift was given, strip the gift that was in you that was given you by the presbytery, by the laying on of hands, of the presbytery by prophecy and the laying on of hands. So we see that we have to come in. You know, I, I thank God I can sit under a, a, a Dr. Mark Barkley and go and listen to him and get impartations and revelations and prophesyings over him. I thank God I can go to Raymond Bible Trainer and sit, un, and sit under a Pastor Hagen 
and go to my brother-in-law's church and sit under my brother-in-law who's been a pastor many years more than I have. And I can go to more senior level ministers and they can impart and stir up the gift that is within me to go to the next level. Some people, ho-hum. You know, it's like, eh, not a big deal. Why would I care? Because you're going to be judged one day. God's going to bring you before him and say, hey, what did you do with the gift that I gave you? What did you do with the talents? What did you do to create increase? What did you do to be everything that I've called you to be? Number three, you must serve under that gift that unlocks, because in servanthood unlocks every gift. You know, you've got to serve a baseball team before you get good at baseball. You've got to serve a football coach before you be good at football. You've got to serve in certain areas before your gift ever gets developed. Your gift does not get developed by sitting on the sidelines and watching someone else play the game. Can I get an amen? Your gift will never develop as long as you're a spectator. Your gift will never develop as long as you sit on the sidelines and only watch others do it. It is so important that we understand. In Luke 16, 12, it says, unless you've been faithful in another man's, you will never get your own. Moses was faithful to serve Jethro. Joshua was faithful to serve Moses. Timothy was faithful to serve Paul. Joseph was faithful to serve Potiphar. He was faithful to serve the jailer. He was faithful to serve the Pharaoh. He was faithful to serve his country. And people that are faithful in serving get their gifts developed. Can I get an amen? If you'll serve, your gift will get developed. But if you don't serve, it does not get developed. 2 Kings 2, 1 through 14 of course, the great prophet Elijah is coming to town. He's coming to three different schools of the prophets. And in every, one, in every one of those schools, there's young prophets whose dads are prophets who are sitting in school and being trained by Elijah the prophet. And you can turn there if you want. We don't have time. I'm, I'm trying to wind this down really fast. And you've got all these young men, and they come up to Elijah. And then Elijah's got a servant, and his name is Elisha. Elisha has been his servant for 25 years, serving him as a minister, almost like an indentured servant, almost like a slave. He'd been serving him for all these years, and he comes alongside him, and he goes, and all these guys come running up from the prophet and goes, hey, do you know that your master is going to be taken up in a whirlwind today? Did you know that God is taking home the great prophet Elijah, and therefore he's going to have to choose his successor, and we're hoping that it's one of us guys at one of these prophet schools, that they're, they're going to he's going to choose one of us and we get to be the great prophet next and we're going to go ahead and serve in his stead when he's gone and we might be that guy and we're looking so forward to that. Did you know that little servant boy, little shoeshine boy, little helper? Did you, did you realize that your great prophet guy that you serve is going to choose one of us guys <clears throat> to be the next successor, the next great prophet? And he's probably thinking, oh, that's just really what I wanted to hear. You guys get to go to school, and I get to do all the work. And so he goes around to all these three different schools. He goes to Gilgal. He goes uh, to Bethel, and he goes to the other one. I can't remember the name of it. And he goes to all these schools, and all these prophet boys are there. And, man, they're ready. They're hoping he's going to choose it. And then all of a sudden, he just walks away, and he says, okay. I've been to all three of these schools where all these young men have been trained, just like you know Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, but he wasn't much of a leader because of it. He says, all these young prophets, they're all ready to take my place, and they all know all kinds of different things from book learning. But I don't know if any of them are really faithful when the hard times come and when they all want to kill you and they all want to run you out of town and they all want to stone you and they all hate your guts, if they'll stay faithful. I really don't know if they're going to be able to handle all the pain and all the difficulty and all the adversity and all the problems that they're going to encounter becoming the prophet. And I don't really know if I want to choose him, so I'm going to turn to you because you know something I've noticed about you? You've been faithfully serving me for 25 years, Elisha, and I know that I know that you won't ever let me down. The Bible says, know them that labor among you. Yeah. 
He says, and I know you. I don't know about these boys. I don't know about these young, you know, schoolboys. I don't know about all their learning. And, and I've been teaching them, but I don't know anything about their faithfulness. I know all about their academic grades. I know all about their learning at the schoolhouse. But I don't know anything about their level of faithfulness. But I know one thing for sure. You're faithful. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, it says, a steward and it's a steward of the grace of God is what your gift is. It's a, it's a grace of God that you steward. A steward must be found faithful. He says, you know what? What do you want today, Mr. Elisha? I'm Elijah. I'm the great prophet. I'm going to choose a successor today. And what is it that you want from me? He says, I would like a double portion. He says, I'd like to have twice as much as you. Can you imagine that old prophet when he heard that? He goes, dude. You've been serving me for 25 years. You, you must really want this thing. He goes, if you are, and, and basically, he told him, he says, I want to be twice as great as you. You know, I don't know about you, but I would think, you know, may, maybe we need to reduce your hat size just a little bit here. And, and, and I'm thinking, wow, he wants a double? But the prophet thought, well, you know what? He has served me for 25 years. He has probably, you know, washed my dirty underwear, whatever a servant did in those days, you know. And he says, you got it, dude. He says, when I go up in that chariot, my mantle, which is representing of the anointing, representing the anointing, is going to fall, and it's going to be left to you, and you're going to lead all these guys. Sure enough, the one who served trumped those who were well-learned. Faithfulness will reveal your gift because that gift came down on Elisha and it was a gift in a double measure. I don't know about you, but if my gift makes room for me, if my gift is able to make me rich, if my gift is able to make me successful and my gift gets to be doubled one day, I think I'm going to be willing to serve a little bit. Somebody say amen. See, the, the one who's going to impart the gift into you is not, is not impressed with your knowledge. He's impressed with your faithfulness. And God is the one who imparts those gifts ultimately. Can I get an amen? amen? See, I believe this; those gifts are stewardship. Elijah was a faithful steward. And he became twice as gifted as everybody else because of faithfulness, not because of his learning. Lastly, number four, you need to unlock the gift in others and God will unlock the gift in you. When you serve others, you're unlocking their gifts. See, in Genesis, Joseph unlocked the gifts for everybody else, but it seemed like nobody was doing anything for him. Joseph gets thrown into a pit by all of his brothers. How many of you know that would be a pretty lonely place? But he didn't turn against them. Joseph goes and he gets picked up, and Potiphar buys him, makes him a slave, and Joseph unlocks the gift of Potiphar to be prosperous. He unlocks prosperity in the house of Potiphar. The Bible says very clearly in Genesis, the 36th or 7th chapter, I can't remember which one, but it says that God prospered Potiphar's house because Joseph was in it. Joseph unlocked the prosperity of Potiphar. And then, of course, we know the scenario. His wife gets him thrown in jail. And then Joseph goes into that prison, that jailhouse, and he unlocks the proficiency of the jailer. And he makes that place run so well that he gets put in charge. And it's not like it's, it's never prospered on that level before. So he unlocks the proficiency for the jailer to run the jail. Hmm. Then he meets a butler in there. And the butler has a dream. And the dream gets interpreted by Joseph. And Joseph tells him by such and such a time, they're going to come get you and they're going to release you. And he unlocks the butler's liberty. He unlocks Potiphar's prosperity. He unlocks the jailer's uh, proficiency. And he unlocks the butler's liberty. He has a dream and says, you've been thrown in prison with me, but you're going to be let out in so many days. And the dream comes true. Wow. And then the king has this dream and he's troubled by it and he can't figure out what are these, these seven cows that are real fat and seven days and then seven more days they become so lean they look like skeletons and they're going to die. And he's perplexed and he goes and he gets all his wise men and he says, you need to tell me what this means. They couldn't tell him. He goes and gets all the astrologers and says, what does this mean? They couldn't tell him. He goes and gets all the PhDs and all the academics and says, uh, what does this mean? They couldn't tell him. 
And then he gets really ticked off. He says, is there anybody in our kingdom that can tell me what this dream is? As a matter of fact, since you guys can't tell me, I'm going to put you all to death. Now, they've got some perplexity, and they've got some, and the king is mad, and he's upset. All the wise men are mad and upset because they're going to be put to death, and everybody is in a, in a tizzy, and, and they go, well, the butler says, you know, I just got back from prison. You know, I was there, and this, there was a guy in the prison that told me they had, and I had the dream. He interpreted it and told me just exactly what was going to happen, and you know what? He can interpret dreams. You need to go get him. So they get Joseph. He's unlocked the prosperity of Potiphar. He's unlocked the, pro, uh, the proficiency of the jailer. He's unlocked the liberty of the butler. And now he unlocks the perplexity of the king. He tells him, well, that's easy. This means you're going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of lean. Save up in the plenty, and you'll have enough in the lean. And the king says, wow. He says, that seems right. He says, I think I want you to be in charge of it all. He pulls him out of prison, and then he unlocks what could have been a total famine for Egypt, and and he unlocks the necessity of a whole nation to have food in seven years of famine. Now, he's going around unlocking everything for everybody else. He's going around serving everybody else. He's going around making it better for everybody else, but so far, he hasn't got a lot of rewards. And then the king says, you know what? I'm going to unlock you today, and I'm going to make you in charge, and I'm going to make you the richest, most wealthiest servant and steward over the entire nation's wealth. And it, prosperity comes to Egypt. Prosperity comes to Joseph. And then all of a sudden, he is proficiency. His dream gets unlocked, and his ability to share the dream. His liberty is locked. He's set free from prison. His perplexity, why, why am I in prison, gets unlocked. All the same things that he unlocked for all the others get unlocked for him. Necessity, he's delivered His brothers are now delivered because now there's wheat and the brothers come in and he feeds all of his brothers in the middle of the famine. And then posterity and the lineage of Jesus Christ gets unlocked because Joseph was able to save his family, which is the lineage that Jesus came through. In other words, everything that he unlocked in other people, there came a day and God unlocked that gift and those blessings and that prosperity on his life. See, when you use your gift to do what God wants done, God will use others' gifts to get done in your life what needs to be done. There's something about when you give your gift, God will bring others to bring gifts to unlock the gifts in your life and the blessings for your life. Let's all stand up and we'll be dismissed. Your gift will make room for you. Non-believers, heathens, Harvard graduates, articles in Harvard Review saying you need to find out what your passion is. You need to develop what your gift is. And it will take you to the bank. It will take you to prominency. It will take you to influence. It will take you to being the top of your field if you'll find out what it is that's living on the inside of you that only God can put there and God can develop. But don't use it like the world uses it. Uses it for, use it for the kingdom's sake. How many of you want to know what your gift is today? We'll talk more about that. But I believe this. We need to make a commitment today. If God, if, we, if God knows that we'll use our gifts for him, I believe God will reveal our gifts to us. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray.